What I found to be even more beneficial is connecting with the insurance companies who have someone who's going to be there for three, six, nine, 12 months. I consider this like the section eight of, of furnished housing because the rents, maybe I shouldn't use the word guaranteed when we have a lawyer on here, but I consider the rent as guaranteed as possible through these insurance companies, these longer term contracts, and they pay so much money. It's crazy. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with Straightforward Short-Term Rentals. Rory Gill looking all legal with a suit on in a conference room in a law firm. Is that a fake background or that's that's your actual background, right? That's real. So I know the week that we're recording, this is a very busy week for closings in New England. So I'm, I'm running around doing as many closings as we can um, before the month end. Yeah, no, we were just bemoaning the fact that like attorneys can't take off this week, you know, because uh, attorneys are needed for closings. You know, some states you don't need them and some you do. Um, Rory, we're talking short-term rentals today. We're talking about co-hosting. We have one of the premier uh, co-hosts, co-host coaches. Uh, he is a personality that people have seen on Instagram and TikTok and other places. I feel like I know this guy. We've never talked in person besides today, but I feel like I know him because he's always on my feed giving great information uh, about short-term rentals and how to grow business and scale things up. We're going to talk about medium-term rentals today, working with VAs, lots of awesome stuff. Billy Kramer, welcome to the podcast. Woohoo! Thank you guys for having me on. Excited to be here. You know, Bailey, I reached out to you like on BP Bigger Pockets, like just over a year ago. Like you, you kept popping up in the forums. Like I know this must be one of your strategies, right? But like, literally, this guy keeps popping up in forums, answering questions about short-term rentals and Airbnb. And Rory, you know that I have keywords set up there, as a lot of us do. So we get these emails every single day, you know, about topics, and we jump into the conversation or not. But like Bailey was kind of always there. And he mentioned something about how many properties you had under management. You mentioned like you were super young at the time and you're still young. We're old, you're young. I was like, how is this guy doing it? Like this is before I understood co-hosting. Rory and I had our our you know, our first property, our second property. We were just kind of off to the races with our side hustle. And then like, you know, we we this is well documented on this podcast. Like, you know, a year ago or so, you know, we kind of had some switch uh some switches flipped. Try to say that multiple times <laughs> quickly. And we realized that there was big opportunity with short-term and medium-term rentals, opportunity co-hosting. And then it all clicked. And I'm like, oh, now I get what this guy is doing. So, so Bailey, like, t- I mean, start with like just the basics of your story. I'm sure it's been very well documented. I want to get to the meat and potatoes of the business, but introduce yourself to our audience and, you know, um, we'll start from there. For sure. Yeah. My name is Bailey and right now I'm 23 years old and I started on this whole real estate journey, the real estate side when I was 19 from reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. But I would say that the the entrepreneurial journey started in my head at least 10 years prior. Um, there were a lot of different things growing up as a kid that led me to want to be an entrepreneur. Um, some of like the basics were like Shark Tank. Freaking love that show. Been watching it for forever. I, I, you know, I, I, I still watch it to today and just like being able to make my own schedule, be the boss. Obviously money is important. That was like one of the big drivers. Second big driver that I would say that really adds in feel like for my story is my parents and my family, no one else is an entrepreneur. No one else. They went the, they went the typical nine to five route. And the biggest thing for me was my dad, he got, he got promoted. So then we moved to 
from Florida to Wisconsin. Then he got promoted again. So we moved to him from Wisconsin to Florida. And then long story short, my family moved back to Wisconsin, but his job was stuck in Florida. So he had no, no flexibility to just move back to Wisconsin. And there were no family issues. It was just like, we liked Wisconsin better. And funny, people probably think Florida is way better than Wisconsin. Yeah, there's some things. But, um, but ultimately, that was one of the big drivers for me. My dad would commute literally every single weekend for, I want to say, six to eight years. And I'm like, and, and this is like when I was like, I mean, started when I was probably 10-ish. Mm-hmm. So I knew then, I'm like, man, he's a hard worker. He's smart. But there's something like, why, why is this happening? And I realized it's the golden handcuffs. So that was like, just quick snippet about like, because people are like, how, how are you so sure that you didn't want to get a nine to five job? Like, this is one of the biggest motivations. I'm like, I don't want to be stuck to a location or have to fully answer to somebody to make any decisions like that. So fast forward, I was in college, freshman year, first day of college. I made a video of myself just in my dorm room. And basically in the video, I posted on Instagram, but it was basically like, hey, first day of college, I'm going to work my butt off so I don't have to get a nine to five job and I can be my own boss. I was, I just want to be clear here. This was like, I talked to a lot of people who were like, I want to start my own business, but I was like, I am going to start my own business. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. I do believe that's definitely leads into like some of the success I've had so far. But then fast forward, sophomore year of college. Uh, so freshman year went by, watched a lot of YouTube videos, learned some cool things about every side hustle you could imagine. Sophomore year, red rich dad, poor dad. And I was like, holy crap, this real estate thing is unreal. And that's when I found bigger pockets and really got introduced to the whole real estate world. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. But, you know, Rory, that that's another example of how something happened early in somebody's life, you know, when they were a teen or preteen affects the trajectory where they want to go. And they're like, I see my parents doing that and I don't want to do that. I want to do this instead. We just heard that. Right, Rory? Yeah. And I mean, I just kind of wanted to spell the the point that this isn't about just wanting to not work. Um, I, you know, it sounds like you're doing a ton of work and everything, but you just wanted to have a little bit more freedom behind it. You wanted to have a little bit more time freedom, place freedom, um, and kind of ownership over the work. Is that right? Absolutely. Like, u- ultimate control. And obviously there's some things that you just can't control, but location of where I work, how much money I'm making, like those are two things that I believe I can fully control. Um, and obviously, you know, you can't just make a bajillion dollars in a day, but obviously if you, if, if you're going to put 30 years into something, picking the vehicle in my mind is super important. Mm-hmm. Let's start with imposter syndrome. Like, I think that's a good spot to start because you're young, you're doing this, you're hustling, but you're, you're doing the work, right? Like, you know, you're not, you're not cutting all these corners and, you know, scamming people because like you're legitimate with your portfolio and your coaching program. Older people who did go the traditional route and had their family and kind of found their way into this world afterwards saying this would be a good second chapter, you know, you don't even know about what the second chapter is going to be in your life, right? You know, when you turn 40, 45, a lot of people have that second chapter. That's where we are right now. How do they react to you as a young hustling entrepreneur who has all this experience? I'm sure that the reactions just run the entire spectrum, right? Yeah, it, it definitely runs the entire spectrum. I would say there's like one half of people who are who embrace it and say, "Wow!" Like they they realize that times have changed, I guess, and like 
the only world I know really is like the remote world. So like doing things remotely, it's not, it's not like, it's not a really big deal to me because that's all I've honestly known because I'm 23. But when I talk to a lot of people in their thirties, forties, fifties, whatever, they're like, you, you, you can't do this remotely or, or like, that is so stupid that you would do like they, that you'd buy a property remotely without ever seeing it or that you would buy in this market that you've never been to. It's just like, it's just like, a, it's definitely a mindset shift and realizing that maybe there's some things that we used to not be able to have that we do now, simple like technology that makes things easier. So I definitely get a wide range of reactions. I would say like the younger people that I talk to, they're, they're just like fully on board. There's like, dude, this is sweet. Like this is, this is just another way to get to a desired goal. Some of the older folks are older than me are just like, you, you can't do as good of a job or you can't, you like, they're kind of just in denial about it. Um, can't please everybody, but that's just, yeah. just the truth. But you don't, you don't need to please everybody. You know, like yeah. one of the classic things with marketing is finding your niche and really super serving the niche. I'm sure you, t- you teach this of your students with co-hosting and short-term rentals with the avatar of the customer that you want to serve. You know, if it's a, if you're looking for if you're an owner, do you want vacationers? Do you want medium-term rental people? Do you want insurance claims? Do you want people traveling for work? If you are a co-host, you know, what types of clients do you want? Do you want people in vacation markets? Do you want people in urban markets? Do you want people that are going to use the property a lot or not? I mean, like finding your persona is important. You know, and I'm you know, you could talk, we can get into your coaching program a little bit. Um, you know, during this conversation, I'm guessing you have kind of the gambit of people in the program, but you know, if you were to choose to super serve people in their twenties and thirties, millennials, Gen Z, whatever, that's not a bad thing to do. It's like, you know, then you super serve them and then you become somebody that really can nurture those folks as someone with that wisdom. You know, you're talking to someone right now, I'm well into my forties. Rory is hanging on his thirties. Uh, by the time this comes out, he'll still be hanging on, but not that much longer. And, and you're in your 20s. And, you know, what what I've learned with age is, uh, Bailey, I feel like I'm your age. I feel like I'm younger than you. You know, and you won't know that feeling until you're my age. And you'll say, man, I feel like that 23-year-old guy again. I don't feel any different from you. You look at me as like the old guy. But like, we we mm-hmm. don't feel different from you. Like, because we remember all that stuff in our lives. And, you know, I went to a great college, you know, went into the media business afterward, even though I was supposed to go into the medical field, didn't do that. Um, and I found my way into the real estate world, you know, like seven years ago, right? As the side hustle, now it's the full-time thing. And we all have our own journeys. But I remember what it was like to be working in your 20s and 30s and 40s. And everything you're describing is not what I was taught. And right. that might be that might be one of the, you know, things that are difficult for people in their 40s to understand when they're learning from a coach like yourself. For sure. And I, I've definitely seen like with the younger people that I coach, like in their 19, 19 year old, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, I've just seen instead of them questioning the things I tell them, they just do it. Like, and it, it's like, it is crazy to see. I'm not saying that no one in their thirties or forties comes in like that, but just to generalize my experience with helping different age demographics, the younger people, they don't question it because it's just like, they just, they just get the idea of it. Whereas there's always a little bit of a resistance with the people that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And I'm like, all right, I, I can continue to explain and give you like the reasons and stuff. But the only thing that's going to get you the results is by doing it. And that's what I've seen with younger folks. Asking questions is good. And I think questioning things is, is good too. But it's just like, 
the faster you can just start implementing is the faster you're going to get results with literally with anything. So yeah, that's, I've definitely seen that difference for sure. Rory, see, the problem is we know too much, right? Yes, get, 100%. We know too much because we're older and it gets in our heads and we're probably more risk averse than someone, you know, early on starting out. Like what's the worst that could happen when you're 2021 and you screw up, you just do it again, right? You know, I know with, once you have a legal training, that's even worse. In law school, you learn all the different ways things could go wrong and it, you know, <laughs> really entrenches a risk aversion. I wish that I got out ahead of this before becoming an attorney. You'll love this, Bailey. I mean, like Rory and I have so many sub two conversations. Like he's like, I just don't understand how this is actually like legal. Like how are these due on sale clauses not being enacted by these banks? And, you know, R Rory as the legal trainee runs to all of the... The, the the job of an attorney, right? Like I've worked in big corporations. Their job is to not get that corporation sued. Okay. Limit liability. That's what the, and, and like, they were always a buzzkill. Like I was on the sales side. I was a sales manager. Like we just went head to head with our, our attorneys. They're like, what do you mean we can't do this? They give you the list of reasons why not. And in sales, you don't like taking no for an answer. Like you like figuring out what is the pain point and solving it. And when you get a no, you try to rephrase the question or you try to ask it, you know, in a way that you're going to get that yes. And man, like the attorneys, they just shut it down. Like the good attorneys that are entrepreneur focused, and we have actually had them on on this uh, podcast, Nick Troxel out of Colorado. Uh, that was a great interview that we had. And he is an you know, entrepreneur, works with b businesses, and he wants to protect the business, but he also said he wants to give them a way that they might be able to push forward as well. I think that like a lot of attorneys take the easy way out and they say, here's the long list of reasons you can't do this thing. Case closed. Don't email me again. Right. But Bailey, you don't want to hear that. I mean, you're hustling. You're doing all these different creative financing deals. You're, you're, you're coaching people on how to find those properties and maybe not lay money out and then how to co-host them afterward. So you're navigating this in a very non-traditional way from how we've all been trained our whole lives, right? Totally. That's what it's all about, going the non-traditional path. So so tell us about your co-hosting uh, business. Like, when did you launch this? How are things going? Um, you know, what are a couple things you've learned along the way? Totally, totally. So to, to go back to the story I was sharing before of like read, reading Rich Dad Poor Dad sophomore year of college, that's when like the real estate light bulb went off. And I was like, okay, this is the business I'm starting, real estate. And then I realized after listening to Bigger Pockets, million different ways I can go. So the short story of this whole thing is I looked at every avenue, flipping, you name it, and I decided I'm gonna go into buying apartment complexes. That's what that's my first site. And I don't it's funny, I don't do any of that now, but that was like my first site that I wanted to go. So again, long story short, um, I ended up joining like a mastermind group of it wasn't really a coaching program, it's more like a a group of like-minded people for apartments. And I just started learning, networking. Like I was, I was like, I was, I call it like practicing. I, I was doing the motions. I just wasn't getting anywhere. Like I was underwriting deals, talking to brokers, the whole thing. Long story short, um, met somebody in that group who also wanted to get into apartment complexes, but he was kind of going through the same thing I was, wasn't really getting any progress. Um, and this was a couple of months and anything in real estate's a long game. So I, I just want to be clear with that. I'm not, I'm not like, no one should be looking for like a get rich in a couple months. But my goal going back to it was I want to be able to um, finish college, having enough money coming in so I don't have to get a job. And for me, and I think for a lot of people, like 
four to five thousand bucks a month as a baseline, that will do it for most people. At least it would for me. So about a year after I registered that port ad, so I was in this mastermind group for about six to nine months at this point. I made the switch to single family, partnered up with this guy who had experience, but neither of us had money, credit, um, or any of that stuff. So what we did is we started doing the cold calling route. We started, um, that was really a cold calling and texting. We ended up doing um, two fix and flip deals. We did two long-term rental deals. And then we bought those. I don't know. The, I, I don't know. I don't remember the exact. So one of them was cash. We raised from the people in the, in the mastermind group for the, for the, for the money on that one. We did a seller financing. We did a subject two. So I kind of just like, I, I did, I did a wholesale deal. So I was like, I was quickly learning all these different strategies from these different properties. The last two properties, so six total that I bought with this guy was two Airbnbs. So long story short of, of how I actually got into the co-hosting side was we had these two Airbnbs up and running. Um, and I was the one who's operating, doing the Airbnb, the messaging, handling everything, the pricing. And then I was entering into my senior year of college. So at this point, I was making like, I made like probably 20 thousand is roughly from the fix and flips, but then dump some of that into the long-term rentals. So at this point, I still didn't have much money, like five, 10,000 bucks. And then the long, the short-term rentals were making me a couple hundred bucks. The uh, Airbnbs, we weren't doing distribution since they were partner on them. So I was really making like 2,000-ish bucks a month. It wasn't like crazy, but I was like, okay, I've got about nine to 12 months to, to, to get up to 5,000. And then I don't have to get a nine to five job. That was it. So I started posting. I mean, I started posting about my real estate journey from literally from the moment I found bigger pockets and just sharing what I was learning. So I was doing that as I bought properties too. And then someone actually messaged me on Instagram. Funny enough, it was like a friend of a friend and said, Hey, I know someone who needs a co-host for their property. Do you want to do it? And at this point, again, I had two Airbnbs up and running. I said, sure. I, I took over this guy's Airbnb and the very first, it was already, by the way, this guy, he, he bought the Airbnb. It was already furnished, turnkey, ready to go. So we just basically pressed live on his new Airbnb listing and we were making money. So that first month I made like 900 bucks. And then I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like I didn't do anything for this property. If I can just continue to do that every month and get a couple more of these, this whole college or this whole nine to five thing is like way out of sight. So I got the first taste from there. Then um, I got another referral, like really close after that in the, in the same city. It was like wild. Started doing that one. That was roughly a, it was a little bit more money, but just to keep it conservative, same type of numbers, 900 to a thousand bucks a month. So at this point I was making like 4,000 roughly dollars a month. Um, and I, I just saw the future. So mm -hmm. at this point it's December of 2021, December, 2021. And I, and then college second my last semester was starting like january like fifth or something like that i get an email from the school that says hey you need to meet with your guidance counselor because you like failed a class because i was so focused on the real estate stuff you got you to meet with them and then you have to retake the, and i'm like i'm not i was on academic i have to like meet all these requirements and i'm like all right i'm, I'm done with this thing so that's when i dropped out of college um, texted my parents. They weren't too happy about it. And neither was my girlfriend. And that's when I just started to go, go all in on the co-hosting side. So that's kind of like the, the intro to the, to the co-hosting stuff. How, uh, how many more classes do you have to take? So 
I failed two my last well, my, my my that fall semester. So I I failed two classes. So I technically had like five more plus two more. So it was going to be like two semesters worth. Um, and the reason why, I, like, just to be honest, like I got good, great grades in high school, great grades in college up until the point of this whole real estate stuff. I remember literally sitting in class and I had this real, uh, two, two distinct memories from class. I were just like, oh my God. One of them is it was like a real estate market analysis class. And I just want to say, just because I had six properties at this point, I was not an expert. I, st- right. I even at this point, like I know my stuff, but I'm still not at the top of my game. I'm going to, every year I'm going to keep leveling up. So I just want to be clear there. But the professor, he shares the, so he, he's leading the market analysis class and he shares that he's never actually invested in real estate. He's just had his own personal houses before. So I'm like, okay, not that I'm the expert in market analysis, but I feel like I know more than this guy. And I was, that was one thing that just like rubbed me the wrong way. And then the second thing is I was sitting in this class with this professor and I don't, honestly, I don't know his real estate investing experience, but we're learning how to manually calculate how much a mortgage is going to um, cost and what the payment's going to be. The principal payment is going to be in like five years and three months. And, and, I'm, and I get it. Like, I, I think it's, I don't know. I, I see some benefit to knowing that stuff, but while he's sharing this information, which I just use the internet to look up and it's easy. I'm getting like major bookings for my Airbnb property. I'm talking like, like we're, we're like for my first property, we're charging like $2,000 a night. So we're getting like six day reservations for 12 grand coming in where I'm making, I know at this, at that time, 10% off of these reservations. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, am I, am I going to handle these reservations or am I going to learn how to manually calculate these mortgages? So those were two things that were like driving me insane that yeah. helped me make the decision easier. You know what's going to happen? You're going to go through your 20s, super successful and everything. And you're going to have that moment where everything's either running itself or you have your team of people running things. And you're going to say, man, I want to get that degree. And you're going to finish it up. And you're going to go back and take the classes that, you know, don't, you know, uh, that, that, that you want to take, you know, to finish up your degree. You're not going to learn from people that, you know, don't know what they're doing. And you'll, you'll finish it. You'll have to finish it. Like your parents are going to want you to finish it, by the way. But, you know, I... I, I totally get what's happening here. I mean, this is, you know, Rory's got an advanced degree. I went to an Ivy League school. Like, we believe in education. But, you know, we've talked so much about how you don't necessarily get the real world skills or the practical skills from all these different types of training. Like, I certainly didn't. I mean, this is a long time ago that I went to school. But, like, a lot of the things you've talked about, that wasn't taught where I went. And, you know, Rory's been to law school. And Rory and I, how much how much do we talk about how they don't talk sales in law school, right? They teach you how to be a lawyer. I mean, it's actually kind of amazing. And I will give them credit in the 12 years since I've graduated, I've heard that they've become a little bit more entrepreneurial, but they used to, as part of the curriculum, as part of their KPIs, their key performance indicators, they would try to dissuade people from going out and starting their own practices, starting their own firms, being entrepreneurial, because if you joined a firm or you know got a government job, that, um, that helped with your... Um, there are statistics in terms of people who are hired for work. Um, but I think some of it has become a little bit more entrepreneurial, but you know, all the professionals, dentists need to learn how to run a dentist's office. Attorneys need to learn how to run um, a law practice, but that's the piece of education that's missing, which seems like it's a core part of the job. Sure. So, so Bailey, you transitioned from, you know, student doing this stuff on the side to full-time co-host investor 
And then you had a moment where you're like, I should teach other people how to do this. I want to ask like, what was, what was that inflection point where suddenly you were like, okay, I know my stuff. I need to impart this upon other people. Like, was it your idea or did people just keep asking you the same questions? You're like, I can make money on this. Yeah. It, it was the second one. So like, like I said, I, I even, I even started a podcast. I don't do it anymore, but I started a podcast when I was first starting out before, like this was like seven months before I even landed my first real estate deal, which is a fix and flip. I started my own podcast and that was just like to share and talk real estate, just what I like to do. So the same thing happened on social media. I just, I've just been doing it for fun. Honestly, um, I find it entertaining and, and I, I like sharing what I'm learning and people find it interesting too. So the same thing happened with the, with the coasting side. People were like, dude, how, how, how are you doing this? Can you, can you teach me? And where it started out was like, yeah, let's hop on a phone call, man. Let's, let, let, let's get it going. So I would just start talking to people on the phone, um, just sharing what I've learned and helping people get started. And then I'd get more questions, more questions. I'm like, let me just make this into a, a documented process. And I, I, even, I did the same thing when I started my podcast. So many people asked me, dude, how do you start a podcast? I literally, I took a couple days or whatever, made a podcast course. I was like 20 bucks. It wasn't even, it, it wasn't strictly about the money. But I like I like helping people. It's fun talking about it. Let me just make it in a structure that's just organized for everybody. So that's how it started with like um, just helping people with phone. I'm like, all right, let me document some of these things. Um, then people are like, all right, like I, I watched your videos now. Now I've got this question. So it was it's honestly like a very natural evolution of just like compiling information, seeing what people need, and then seeing like the key points that actually make people successful um, and that helped me in my coaching business and just be able to like package it up in a way to help people the easiest way possible, honestly. I get so many questions now about um, short-term rentals and podcasting, those two things specifically. And, right. and you know, I've spent the past year rebranding because I worked in the media for 25 plus years in various capacities. Some people had no idea what I did. The people I worked with knew exactly what I did. You know, I was a sales manager and director for the past, I don't know, 13 years at two different um, big national media companies. And then before that, a bunch of research jobs. You know, everyone thinks that when you're in the media, you're the person on camera, on the microphone, but there's a lot of jobs behind the scenes. Um, but, you know, when that job ended, I had to really go all in to brand myself in this. You're already branding yourself in this. This is like you hit the ground running and you're doing, you know, you're known for short-term rentals and for coaching and investing. Um, I, I was known for doing that on the side, you know, like it was, it was known that Rory and I had a couple of properties that we did. I got a lot of questions at work, you know, at my last W2 job about this. Mm. And now in this space, I made a conscious decision to, you know, rebrand me, like both my public persona and just kind of people I talk to. And each of these conversations come out of the woodwork. And like, I love having them. I've never, I've never had the impetus to, to monetize at all. Cause like, I don't really want to do that. Like I want to monetize what we're doing and I'm happy to like share the wealth and, and give more than I take, you know? So I, I, every time I have a conversation with somebody where they're like, Hey, I'd love to like chat with you. And who was it just listening to yesterday about the whole pick my brain thing? Like someone just was like, don't pick people's brains. Like it's a waste of their time. Like figure out a way that you can give some value to them. Right. I'm, I'm not fully there yet. I'm still willing to have people pick my brain. I have that conversation a lot. Maybe it's because I just like having it. And sometimes the more you say it, the more you feel like you're a confident leader in it. Maybe you've kind of felt that same way yourself, Bailey. 
But um, and all uh, so many podcasts, so many short-term rental conversations of late, and like I'm delighted to have them. I just am. It's with neighbors, it's with friends, it's with past coworkers, it's via text, it's via phone call, it's through all the groups, it's 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 everywhere. So somehow I did this rebranding pretty well, right? You only know me as this. I only know you as this, right? And and it it if anyone's listening, try to figure out how to become the expert in a field like this. I mean, my advice is, first of all, know your stuff, do it, right? Like be that person doing it. Don't be the the professor that only bought their primary home and that's it, right? We've bought, we I bought a lot of real estate, sold a few things, and we we operate five short-term rentals right now. And we have, you know, a commercial space as well. Like we're doing this stuff. Rory and I are doing it. So like we have that credibility, number one. But number two, when people ask questions, like just give. You never know what you're going to get back. You'll get referrals back. You must get referrals all the time, like when you right. give your time, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And the whole like, imposter syndrome thing that you're mentioning and being like, like actually doing it, it's it's so such a weird and hard concept, especially for people. And then when I started of like going from people knowing me as like this kid going to college and just whatever to this is the real estate man or whatever it is, what I realized too is like, no matter where you're at in the journey, you can at least help somebody. Again, not not talking monetizing, just like whether you're just posting something you're learning, like I was doing when I was first started. Like just from me posting about real stuff, real estate stuff, people are like, "Man, I mean, this is interesting. I've been actually thinking about real estate too. I just have an idea once to talk about it with." And then, and then even when I got my first property, then I was able to help people get their first property. Then I got my, then I did you know five properties, and I can help people navigate the difference between what happens with your first one to your fifth one. So there's like, no matter where you're at, there's always something that you could be giving again in, for free, whatever it could, more paid, but free and sharing um, no matter where you're at in your journey. And I would say like, I like changing that identity from who you are, maybe you you were known as the accountant guy and now you're the real estate guy or whatever to whoever's listening it it happens so naturally. It's it's weird, but like even when I was posting on Facebook when I was first starting out, I would get random people be like, "Oh, how's the real estate stuff going?" I'm like, "How do you know I'm doing real estate?" And they're like, "Oh, well, I saw your Facebook post." And I'm like, "Well, you never liked any of my posts, no." But but I, I had no idea they 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 saw me as that because I was kind of in the middle of this identity change, I guess you can call it. But I just realized people notice it. It'll happen so naturally, and it gets to a point now where. It's just me now. People just like, people just know that I'm the real estate guy, but I have not always been the real estate guy. Before I was a real estate guy, I was literally just a college student that didn't know what he was doing. So, um, and my identity now is going to probably change in a couple of years. I'm not, you know, I'm still going to do real estate. That's my main focus, obviously, but everybody goes through, like, I know Grant Cardone, some people love him, some people hate him, whatever, but he was the sales guy, then he, or he was a car sales guy, then he was the sales guy, then he moved into the real estate. There's so many people that kind of switch. So you kind of just have to continue to share where you're at and let it evolve as it, as it comes. Mm -hmm. How about any mistakes that you've learned along the way? Like what's, what's one that stands out in your head that you've made a change to your process or your approach as a result? How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes made, um, a lot of mistakes made. What I would say as the biggest one that pops out is like, part, I, I would say around the, around the world, uh, around the category of partnerships, 
Um, and this is like in two realms, one with owning properties and then also picking co-host and clients. So um, to give the long but short story, I, I, I mentioned I bought six houses my, when I was in college and those were great, great properties making money. Partnership didn't work out as, as the dream scenarios always happen. Um, and I know they're, they're very long stories and I won't get into like all the detail, but at the end of the day, for me, I realized like, like going back to the reason why I got into real estate, I realized like, okay, I have to pick who I want to work with and I have to be extra, extra conscious of how that's going to match up with my goals. Because if my whole goal was time, freedom, freedom to make decisions, and now I'm in a partnership where I can't make decisions anymore, or I have less power, it, it just doesn't align with my actual goals. So I would say that's pe- you know one piece of it. The second piece of it is as far as like co-hosting clients, not putting all or most of your eggs in one basket and thinking that, oh, you're in a great spot. Because similarly to the buy, you know, the partnerships with buying real estate, I had a coasting client. It was more like an investor group, you can call it, that I was coasting 15 properties for. And I got to a point where, again, longer story, but I didn't like some things that were going on ethically, legally, all this stuff behind the scenes. So I decided, uh, you know, no matter how much money I could be making from these properties, I'm going to walk away. And while, yes, I technically you know, I, I had a financial hit from that. You can technically say, cause I, I missed out on that, all that potential revenue coming in. Um, that was just a lesson in my, like to me that I was like, okay, don't put all of your eggs or most of your eggs in one basket. Even if you say, wow, like these people, they're, they're, they're looking to buy 10 more this year. I have this, this gig lined up. That's great. Keep that in your back pocket, but also leverage that into other people, other opportunities. Um, and that's what I advise now when I talk to some people that I help that are like, oh, I met this guy. He has five properties. He's looking to buy five more this year. I'm, I'm set. I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. But just leverage that experience into getting into different coasting gigs or whatever with other people because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. I learned that for sure. Mm-hmm. Look at that, Rory. He's acting like an attorney where he's throwing up the yellow flag saying, all right, but be careful. No, and I mean, there's a lesson there that I think transcends industry. It's always really important to qualify your your clients. Know who you want to work with, who you can best serve, and focus on that. That doesn't mean you can never take a client outside of your comfort zone or outside of your ideal avatar, but you want to be serving the clients that you want to be serving that fit with your ideals, values, but also with what your core offering is. Totally. As we start to wrap up, I want to talk about medium term rentals because before we hit record, Bailey said to us, he's like all in on it right now. So like, what does that mean? Talk about, talk about why you're all in on MTRs. Yes. Midterm rentals. My, what, my fa- probably my favorite topic this second. I just, so I, I co-host properties in like a couple different states, couple different cities, large properties with lake houses, pools to small properties in the Midwest um, that are worth a hundred thousand dollars. So I, I, I just, I, so from a high level, like I, I, I've gotten different experiences with different types of properties, whatever. And from these midterm rentals that I was primarily doing in the Midwest, I'm like, wow, like so, at, at certain months, they were making more money than the $600,000 properties 
in North Carolina and these, by these beautiful golf courses. And again, d- depending on like the seasonality or whatever. So I just realized like, wow, I, people, when people think of midterm rentals, they, I've seen a lot of people think like you, you make less money, but then you can also just have more stability. While yes, it could make less money. I've also seen it actually make more money. Um, I just got a, a awesome midterm rental booking in the city of North Carolina. Um, it is like $8,000 a month right now. If we didn't get that booking, the property, and it's because it's, it's getting into the off season now, the property would probably make between three and $5,000, like booking up the weekends. So the thing that gets me so jazzed up about it is just, it makes more money and it's less work when you have the person in place. So it's like, to me, it's like the best of both worlds. Obviously there's some cons to it, um, such as, and I'll get into this, I'll get, I'll get into the cons in a second, but I also want to mention the midterm rental category. The first thing that people think of is traveling nurses. Everyone's like travel nurse, travel nurse, travel nurse. From what I've seen, I've hosted a lot of travel nurses at this point. I And, and I actually am under contract on a triplex that's going to be very heavy towards travel nurses. But I will say a lot of houses, a lot of properties aren't actually optimized for travel nurses. And that's strictly based on like the property size. So while I, I consider like travel nurses be like the introductory category to these midterm rentals, great. You know, I, I, there's so many benefits. We actually have one in there now uh, in, in one of our properties. So they're great. What I found to be even more beneficial is connecting with the insurance companies who have someone who's going to be there for three, six, nine, 12 months. I consider this like the section eight of, um, of, of furnished housing because the rents, maybe I shouldn't use the word guaranteed when we have a lawyer on here, but I consider the rent as guaranteed as possible through these insurance companies, um, these longer term contracts, and they pay so much money. It's, it's like, it's crazy. So that's kind of just a, a snippet of it, of why I'm so jazzed up about it. But man, these, these insurance companies, they just, they just pay a lot of money. And I found that like, uh, short-term rental operators are not optimizing their calendar to accommodate these midterm rentals. Because what I see on this is in order to get a midterm rental and then the, the insurance contracts that I'm talking about, a lot of the time, these are more last minute bookings. You're not going to get an insurance company from my experience that's going to reach out to you and say, hey, we need a house in three months or we need a house in two months or we need a house in a month. They're going to, from my experience, they say, we need a house in the next one to two weeks. Now, in order for you to be able to accommodate that, your calendar has to be empty, completely empty for the next given three months. That's the biggest piece that a lot of short-term rental operators miss out on. They say, oh my God, my calendar's empty. I'm going to lower my prices, lower the minimums, and I just want to get a two-day booking in a month in advance. It'll make me feel better. Whereas I take the approach of, I'm okay having an empty calendar um, a couple weeks in advance and then work work those contracts hard to get someone in and then be be full, be occupied for three, six months at a time. So that's kind of a snippet of why I love them and how I go about them. And when you're dealing with insurance companies, it's usually families, right? You know, it could be a family with a couple of kids, maybe a dog, you know, so they're looking for usually a larger place. I mean, if there's two kids, you probably want a three bedroom. If there's three kids, you probably want a four bedroom. My understanding with the insurance companies is that they're trying to find accommodations that are comparable to the house that suffered the loss. Is that, is that right? Yeah, for sure. Because, because with, with the insurance contracts, 
then this is one of the downsides. The people have to actually like choose your house because if, if there's multiple options, they're going to go to your house. They're going to they're going to do a walkthrough. It's really heavily suggested and and kind of not demanded, but these people are are going to do a walkthrough of the house. So they they're going to be able to pick which house they actually go to. So if you just have some crappy shed and but it's available, they're not going to pick it. So your house has has to actually be what somebody wants for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole uh, new category for uh, investors, especially if you're working in highly regulated STR markets. Mm-hmm. You know, people are kind of gravitating toward uh, MTRs, but it does require more work. I mean, you you definitely gave um, some great insights right there, and I'm sure that we can probably have an entire episode about this. Uh, what you'd have to do to your calendar, you know, to have that, it's almost like a game of chicken, right? You know, like yeah. two weeks out, I got nothing. Like, what do I do? Like, do I take, you know, do you take the weekend rental or do I try to find a partnership with a uh, insurance company? Do you find it? And before I get to the final couple of questions, one last question about this: Do you um, do you find it difficult to form partnerships with the insurance companies? Like, do you have any recommendations as to who uh, people should reach out to? Like, I know that um, like AL- ALE Solutions, I think, is one of them. Like, are there others that you've had success with? Totally. So yeah, um, with, with these companies, I mean, first and foremost, like, just be on be on be on Furnish Finder. I don't get paid from them by saying that, but like. Some of the contacts I've made starting out were from Furnace Rider. The, the way that I got into this from the to the midterm was completely out of luck, completely lucky. Someone on Furnace, someone reached out to me at Furnace Rider. So, like, start there. And again, you can get lucky that way. But yeah, a couple companies I'm actually pulling up because what I do now is now that I've collected all these email addresses, I do email blasts to them saying, Hey, I have a property available. Do you have anything? And I'm starting to do that on a weekly basis basis now. But um, yeah, so ALE Solutions um, is uh, the, I'd say the best one, the one I've worked with the most. And then here we go, United Corporate Housing, unitedcorporatehousing.com. That's another one. And then CRSTH, it stands for, honestly, I don't know what it stands for, but CRSTH.com. That's another one that that I'm working with right now that um, rent one of my properties. So yeah, you go on their website, you can register your property on there. And then I honestly haven't figured out a way to find their contact information. I haven't honestly looked without them reaching out to me. So I would say if you're on Furnish Finder and they reach out, pick up your phone, call them, go on their website, register your property on their website. It's completely free and look on their, on their website for contact info, pick up the phone and figure out who you can talk to at those companies and and stay on them on a weekly basis. Because last thing I'll note on this is I had someone reach out to me on Furnish Finder. This was like literally a week or two ago. And she said, hey, is your property available? I call her up. Hey, uh, unfortunately, your property is not available. How long have you been looking for? She says, I've been looking for three weeks. I said, and you're just reaching out to me now, like on Furnish Finder? What's taking you so long? She said, oh, what we typically do is we look at our own database first. So what I'm saying is like register your property on the websites. She's like, that's where we look first. And I said, Am I am I on the database? Because I I know I was because I registered, and she's like, "Let me check." Oh yeah, you are. I'm like, "Okay, well, you should have reached out to me." But moral of the story is that's why I'm being proactive now, and every single week I'm making it my task to reach out to them. Do you have anything? Do you have anything? Do you have anything? Because people are lazy. I get lazy sometimes too. So they're, they're humans. It's not like some robot that's going to match you up. It does take more work and more. Um, 
yeah, more work on your end than just sitting back on Airbnb and getting a booking. You got to go out and hunt for these. But once you hunt and you do it successfully, now I've got them reaching out to me. Hey, by the way, do you have anybody over in this area? Do you have a property here? And when they hear Indiana, because that's where a lot of my properties are, they think of me and then they reach out to me first. So what do they say? Is it open mouths get fed? Is that the phrase? I don't know. Makes sense. Um, yeah, it's facts. <laughs> look, look at look look at all this value. Like forty five minutes into a podcast, if you're still listening to this, and look at all those. I hope you took notes. If you're looking for you know medium term rental places and aren't doing that, it's like on my list to do. Like right now, you know, it's just been on the list, and I think I'm going to go do that after we uh, hit the hit the end record button on this. Um, Rory, final questions before we get to our final three for Bailey. Let's hop to the final questions. All right. Uh, Bailey, we ask these questions of all the guests that come on the podcast as a way to wrap things up and just to get to know you a little bit better. First one, if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. I mean, definitely real estate. I could talk about midterm rentals for a long time. Um, anything anything in like the real estate space, um, buying, renting, short-term rentals, I could do talk about that. Um, or also just I'm very passionate and I, it's, I, I like to hold myself, I have to feel like I have to hold myself back from talking about the importance of like, um, like being your own boss, taking a quote unquote risk of starting your own business. I could literally give lectures on that. Those are probably two things. <laughs> you, and, and if you have it already, you probably will. You know, that, that'll be your TED talk. Um, second question, you might've asked this one already early on in the podcast, but the second question is tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Yeah. I definitely like sharing the story about my dad um, and kind of how he had to work. I would, I would definitely say that's like, that's the biggest, like out of everything, that is number one. Um, I also will say though, on the flip side, because I also, I know everyone has a unique story. Everyone comes in from a different place and I don't want to make it sound like a sob story by any means. I also, from, from my dad, from that experience, I did also see the flip side of hard work. One hard, like my dad was working super hard. He made good money. Um, and with that money, we we had a boat. We were able to take vacation. So I do want to say, you know, part like it was definitely two sides of the coin that I learned. I learned I want the good from that that I saw him do with like making the money, having the cool stuff, but on the flip side, not having to um be stuck. And so just taking the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. So there's two sides to every story, and I don't want it to be a soft story. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like a lot of those traveling jobs, especially for people that are regional managers or salespeople, like it, they're on the road a lot, but they're doing pretty well. I mean, like unless you're a circus performer and, you know, a, a or, or backstage hand at something else, it's a noble job, but probably not making a ton of money. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not surprised that, you know, you, it sounds like you had a good upbringing, but, you know, it's the time freedom that you witnessed and said, uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that in my life. Final question tell us something uh, that you're listening to or watching or reading these days, anything in the world. Yeah, I'm actually just started. I, I'm in the middle of one. I'm not really sure how I'm liking it so far, so I'm not going to promote it just yet. But I, what I'm excited to read, and I've started to do some digging on it, is Alex Hermosi's new book, $100 Million Leads, all about lead generation. Again, it literally applies to any business, especially midterm rentals. Like I'm talking about reaching out to these people. But Alex Hermosi's $100 Million Leads is a book that I'm waiting for in the mail. He kind of released some like, there's audiobook and some free stuff before then, but that's something I'm I'm reading right now, learning a lot about, and just how to can this applies so perfectly to the Airbnb stuff of how to get more people to 
come to you too for like renting your property on the short-term side and also for the midterm rentals? I'm like looking at my Audible. Like I actually think I read that book. Like this is one of the few times, Rory, that I think I actually read a book that was brought up. I definitely read something by Alex. I think you read $100 million offers. Oh, not the new one. All right. He just came out with a new one called $100 million lead. Did not have the lead. All right. Yeah. So that's his brand, the $100 million thing. So, okay. Um, Excellent. Well, uh, you know, you can find Bailey all over social media and we'll put all the links to all the different ways to find you in the show notes for this episode. Uh, But if somebody were to get your attention and say, you know, hey, Bailey, I want to talk to you. What's the easiest way to do that? Easiest way? Instagram. I know you said you'll leave the link below. Just look at my name on Instagram. You'll find me right there. Shoot me a shoot me a DM. That's one of the ways that I got started too, of like just reaching out to people from podcasts, from bigger pockets, forums, you name it. So highly encourage people to do that. Not only just to me, but anyone that you listen to on a podcast, you're like, this sounds somewhat interesting. I can maybe learn something. Reach out to whoever. And, and I leave that door open for you guys, for me as well. That's actually interesting that you mentioned Instagram as the way. I mean, like I, I tend to respond more to Instagram people that kind of slide in the DMs, especially in relation to LinkedIn. Like I'm just getting so much LinkedIn spam these days. It's just wild. But yeah, it's a good way to get your attention. So awesome. Rory, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, if you just go to RoryGill.com, you'll see all the different ways you can get in touch with me and all the different ways they can help you out. All right. And if you want to reach out to me, Jason at nexthometitletown.com will get you right into my inbox. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, your questions for Bailey, myself, Rory, you can also slide into our DMs if you want to. It's the Real Estate Law Podcast on Instagram. We have a pretty active account and you should follow us if you're not doing that already. You should also give us a five-star review um, if you have not done that yet on iTunes. We appreciate all those. We love your comments. And we love the fact that you've made it this far in the podcast. And I hope that you learned a couple of things. Rory, thank you so much for all your time today. And Bailey, thanks for being such a great guest. We could probably go another three hours if we wanted to. So we definitely will have you back. Awesome. Thank you, guys.